All your base are belong to us. Hello and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, and uh, you're probably going to hear my cat headbutting the microphone. Um, she's been sick for the past week, uh, so I'm letting her do whatever the fuck she wants. I'm Mary, a marketer, and I don't, I don't know, I don't really have much to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an intro. I don't know. I'm, I'm here. Why are you so loud today? I'm loud. Please explain, Mary. I am loud today because it's raining. It's actually not raining right now. I'm Mary, the marketer, and it's not raining. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's true. It's not. I'm never wrong. <laughs> um, you can go first because you have more than me by right. by a lot. Well, I mean, not a lot. It's like by one, but <laughs> it's 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 equal to like you've done it before. Like it's good. It's good. We've done it before. Anyways, I watched Malignant. So, Malignant is by, what's his name? James Wan. James Wan. Who did not direct all, he did, I always think he directed all of the Fast and Furious movies. He did not. And then I'm like, oh, that was Justin Lin, not James Wan. But no, uh, James Wan did in fact direct a couple of the Fast and Furious movies. So, I don't know. So, my husband, he's a big horror fan. He loves horror. And he's like, we're going to watch this movie. It's by James Wan. I'm like, I'm not watching that movie. He goes, but he did Aquaman. And I'm like, yeah, he also did other scary movies and I'm not doing that. And I mean, this went on since we were able to watch it. Like it went on for weeks. We're watching it. No, we're like to the point where I, I got think, angry. It hasn't been out that long, has it? It had to have been at least two or three weeks because or maybe it wasn't out yet because uh, I, I got to the point. It may have been preemptive. Well, I, I um, watched it last week. So maybe I'm Googling it. You can yeah. carry on. Um, that's later. Uh <laughs> Um, so like to the point where like I got really freaking annoyed. Um, and then for some reason I Googled it and I saw it came out 10 days ago. Okay. It must've been like, we're watching this then. Um, because I've, he's been trying to get me to watch it for, to the point where I got annoyed. Are you okay? Um, and so I looked it up and all I saw was how ridiculous the movie is. And what really made me make the decision was malignant is the frozen of horror movies and it's something james wan said um let me tell you not wrong i mean there's it's definitely still a horror movie but it it, it is silly and i think that james wan knows how silly it is um i i don't even know it so this movie is about a woman who she starts off at, off in an abusive relationship and she's pregnant the guy hits her head against the wall um, and then suddenly he, he goes somewhere else and he dies and she loses the baby and strange things start happening. She starts seeing murders happen at places not in her home. So like, uh, in, and like, it really wasn't a very scary movie, but, but these parts were scary. Like she looks into, um, the washer and it's this woman who's clearly like being killed. And she's like, why are you in my home? She's like, this is my home. And like stuff like that. She's like, it kind of felt like uh, she couldn't move and it kind of felt like uh, the feeling of sleep paralysis of like, you can't move. You know, this isn't right, but what's happening around you is fucked up. Um, I haven't had too many of, I get sleep paralysis when I'm really stressed. I haven't had too many of those, but I know that's really common for people and I have had them before. So it kind of felt like that. Um, and then it turns into this weird, I guess it starts off with this uh, like, kind of very um 
Stranger Things feeling of there's an experimental lab and people are dying and they're like, it's like he's eating the energy. Oh, he can speak out of the radio. Um, that kind of thing. It like it could be in Stranger Things. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Are you? Do you have plans on watching this, Missy? Um, we will probably end up watching it at some point. I don't know if I want to ruin it for you because it sure is something. I'm not gonna. I think. Okay, it's a weird movie. I think it knows exactly how weird it is, and the more I think about it, I, I didn't like the movie, but I liked what it was doing because. Up until when things get really weird, the acting is fine. It's totally fine. Then suddenly everything gets weird and all the acting gets really bad. And I'm curious if that was on purpose uh, because it's so fucking weird. I think that uh, that is actually how I feel about um, Insidious, which is another one of his movies, which Uh like I didn't really like it, but I appreciated what it was doing. Yeah. Nonetheless, it, I think it's easy. My husband loved it, but he he loves most things. Um, I think it's easy to be like, this is a absolutely silly horror movie. And it's not I don't it's a I don't know. I can't speak to the genre. I don't know. That also true of Insidious. Yeah. So but I and I read some things that James Wan said and essentially it kind of felt like he was saying I wanted to try something different and if it works it works. If it doesn't it doesn't. And so I think he took a lot of like steps that he like maybe that he was able to get take because he's he's had so many like successful movies. They're like do whatever you want. And so he did whatever he wanted. Um and the more I think about it, like I said, yeah, I don't love it, but like, yeah, I I thought it was interesting what it was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that it it could easily have been if you put this in on an island with some sticks. This is a folk horror, <laughs> and there were no like experimental labs. There were like lore instead. This could easily be a folk horror. And I think I'd like, you know what? No, I don't know if I'd like it more because I thought this was interesting too. Also, I'll end this with a very good thing my husband sent me. It was this girl. So it takes place in Seattle. And this girl tweet like, this movie makes it look like it always rains and, and thunders in Seattle. It never rains and thunders that hard. First of all, yes, it absolutely has. She made it sound like it hasn't. Second, James Wan responded and said, give it a few years. Um, global warming will make it true. <laughs> so thank you, James Wan. So if you like horror movies, I think, and you like really silly ones, I think that you should you should try it. I think it's interesting. I think it's worth watching and like being part of, I watched that. Um, watch it with friends. <laughs> it's silly, but I still just, I, I like... I like what it was doing and I thought a lot of the silliness was very intentional because the more I think about how bad the acting gets, the more I'm like, ah, it has to be intentional because these people were not bad actors in the beginning. Like the main girl, she wasn't great, um, but she very much, she very much gets bad and I just don't, I'm just like, what happened? And I think, I'm wondering if it was intentional. Cause it sure was silly. It sure like it. It happens. The twist shows what's happening, and you're like, "Huh? Well, that's interesting." So watch it just for the twist to be like, "I was part of that." Yeah, I'll I'll probably watch it at some point. Yeah, um, I think you might like it. There's a, there's a possibility. I think you might like the twist. I liked so I I always forget what other movies that he's done. He did The Conjuring, <laughs> which I liked, and he did The First Saw, which I also liked. Oh yeah, that's right. The First Saw is very good. Yeah, so like I didn't care for Insidious, but that's okay. 
I think if I had gone into Insidious with a different mindset, I might have liked it more. Um, well, now you can go into this with this is absolute. This is the frozen of horror. Yeah, no, that's intriguing to me. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what made me be like, this is really interesting. There's even like a musical number. No, there's not a musical number, but there is definitely a the guy that has the reindeer. And I Christoph? believe, yeah, and there's or is Kristoff the reindeer? I can't remember. I can't remember. And there's definitely Olaf, but not like funny Olaf, like the absolute opposite, like dark absolute, Olaf, <laughs> dark Olaf, nega Absolute, Olaf, <laughs> absolutely cynical, and just like the jokes are really dark, but they're not really jokes. So it's like it's horror, <laughs> it's horror Olaf, nega Olaf. That's the if you're gonna watch it and you want to know who who I think, I think that's the the female uh, police officer. Okay, good to know. Um, listen, <laughs> God, I've been really busy with the podcast lately, so I haven't been able to do a whole lot for fun. So if I wanted this episode to have anything in it, um, I had to talk about a writing book that I read, which is called Writing Shapely Fiction. It's by Jerome Stern. Um, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, um, which is the same as being a writer, in my opinion, um, I think writing shapely fiction is actually a pretty good book. It's not my favorite writing book that I've ever read. I didn't find it like particularly inspirational or anything like that, but it does have some really good practical knowledge about plots, like how to plot um, and different, uh, different aspects of plot that I think are not as well explored in a lot of books. Um, it is very focused on literary fiction, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. The thing that gets, this is the thing that gets me and I'm sorry to dredge out this old dead horse to just beat it here on the podcast. But um, a lot of times when literary writers talk about genre fiction or they talk about science fiction or fantasy specifically, there's like this, um, this feeling that uh, if you call it, science fiction you are implying its quality is not good therefore you know writers of good science fiction are not genre writers didn't you have this issue in college i yeah i've had this issue a lot um and personally i just like i just i don't agree with that and i don't think most people actually feel that way like i think that most people do not feel that to write genre fiction is inherently lesser than literary fiction i think that they just use genre fiction to say something that is not very good whereas genre fiction as i would think of it is just fiction that adheres to genre <laughs> rather than you know i like what it feels like is that the handmaid's tale is not science fiction i know this is a contentious one because margaret atwood feels very strongly that it is not science fiction so sorry margaret atwood um but like um maybe the the original book i i would still call it science fiction i guess it's kind of a dystopia yeah that's it it's it's hard to explain and and i think we Read talked it. we so talked we talked about this in one of our episodes with regard to genre and why someone might resist a genre classification and i don't remember what episode that was unfortunately but well there's been a lot yeah what was that you don't need to know Oh, it was it was one of the Philip Pullman. Oh. Uh, it was one of his his Dark Materials episodes. I don't know how you keep that like information in your head. 
it was, I was chasing it down a hallway. Uh, (laughs) I knew, caught it. I knew it had something. It was like, it's, it's something about somebody resists genre classification because they're doing something that isn't necessarily inherent to the genre. And if I, if I stick with this thought long enough, I'll figure out who it was. And it was, it was in fact, Philip Pullman. So there, sorry, I've gotten way off track. Um, the point, the point for me is that I think that literary fiction and genre fiction are not like, those are not classifications of quality to me. Whereas I think to some people, they are classifications of quality. Um, so if you read a book like Nights in 84, which I would say is science fiction, um, somebody might disagree with me and say it's not science fiction because it's not, um, it's, n- <laughs> they wouldn't say this, but the implication is it's not bad. Therefore, it's not science fiction. That's so weird. And I think it comes from like an assumption about audience and, um, and the purpose of a work, whereas I think there's so much wonder. There's lots of really terrible genre fiction too. Like, don't get me wrong. There's tons of bad genre fiction. But there's bad everything. There's bad literary fiction fiction too. And I know because I went to school <laughs> for creative writing, so like I've read some really bad literary fiction. Um, but anyway, so the the this book, writing shapely fiction, is kind of coming from a, a literary fiction perspective, and it has some kind of if you if you are in the same. Um, the same camp as I am that to call something genre is not a reflection of quality. It's just a statement of like, uh, tropes and that kind of thing. Yeah. If if it's a category or even a market, I would suppose rather Mm. than, um, rather than a, a classification of quality. Um, there are, there are a couple of moments where you might like raise your eyebrows. Um, but overall I thought it was, it was a pretty good book. Like it, I think it's very practical, which is not something that always comes through in books about writing. Sometimes it's like, um, you know, it's very woo woo, touchy feely kind of thing, which I'm down for too. Um, but I think this is more practical and it does some really good things like unpacking specifically what show don't tell means and write what you know means. Um, both of which are very pithy, um, often quoted pieces of writing advice that really mean fuck all. So, you know, it's nice to have them unpacked and explained. When somebody says show don't tell, they don't mean every time in every circumstance. When somebody says write what they, write what you know, they don't mean literally only write things that you have personally experienced. Um, so what they tell you in high school. Yeah. Not not the greatest place for writing advice. Um, but the book, I think, did a really good job of unpacking some of those ideas. So if you are a writer, whether you're like you've been writing for years or you, you want to try writing, I think this is actually a pretty good a pretty good book regardless. Um, I liked it. Nice. I read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and uh, before Rowell, that's interesting because uh, it's definitely like Harry Potter, but gay. Um, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Rainbow. I've always thought. Yeah, look Roll. it up because I want to make sure. Rowell. It's definitely. I don't know. I've you know I've always now I've always thought it was Rule, and then you just said that, and I guess I've never questioned it. So maybe it's not. But she she was the one who said some racist stuff, right? Um, yeah, she's I can I'll yeah. I'll explain just a little bit because I did because Mary read this book and I think really liked it. Yeah, I did really like it. Um so just an acknowledgement that uh Rainbow Roll or Rainbow Rowl, I apologize for not knowing. I how to want say it, it to be Rowl because of Rowling. Yeah. Um she wrote Eleanor and Park, uh, which is a young adult novel that contains some seriously uh, racist depictions of uh, I, I haven't read it so I don't know for sure but I have read some of the passages in question and they are not great um, just uh, preface uh, preface rather we are we are aware of this um, and it's a shame and I hope she apologized I don't know if she did but um, she should and that's that well 
All right. So carry on. <laughs> carry on. <laughs> carry on is a book about is, is it really like in the beginning, it's very it's not hiding the fact that it's like it's almost saying like, hey, we're Harry Potter. Yeah. So do you know about fangirl? I I know it exists. That's all I okay, know. Okay, so Rainbow Roll or Roll. <laughs> I've, I roll out. My whole world has been called into question now. Um, she wrote a book called uh, called Fangirl, which is about a fangirl of the series that the, of the Simon Snow series, and then oh, she went on to write Carry On, Wayward Son, and oh, the new one that's coming out, which is. Um, I don't know if it is the books that she, the girl in Fangirl would have been reading or if it takes place after, but it is, it is um, a sort of metafiction in the world of Fangirl. Interesting. I really want to read this series because I have such an interest in like the depictions of fans in, in media. I just haven't it. gotten around to it yet. I'm gonna, I'm, right now I'm putting it in my before. Yeah. I, I want, that's interesting. I also believe Noelle Stevenson did the cover art for Fangirl. Oh, really? So Carry On is gay or queer <laughs> I, always, I thought you were just gonna stop there yeah so carry on is gay um, the end and it is it is like it really is like pushing like down to like it's not a hat that puts you in different rooms but it is it's sorting you mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is it is harry potter and it's definitely on purpose it's definitely like hey you know harry potter well fuck that book let's make it gay I think um, this is similar, not similar. I've not read any of these things, and yet I insist upon running my fucking mouth. Um, I think that in the same way, because like the magicians is meant to be like adult oh. Harry Potter. Um, I think that there's a playing with the concepts in yeah. this series as well, like there was in the magicians. I definitely think this was. It sucks that J.K. Rowling is a turf. Yeah, <laughs> but as it goes on, it, it definitely becomes its own story. So it's about Simon, who is supposed to be the like the chosen one, like literally, like really, and the most powerful uh uh mage to ever live. And he's the chosen one that's supposed to save everybody against the stupidest name for a villain, the humdrum. <laughs> it was dumb. Um, I guess Voldemort's kind of dumb too, but uh. <laughs> Uh, God, I'm just thinking about Harry Potter and how much I love Voldemort's story, and I'm just get sad. There's so much about Harry Potter I love. Yeah. Anyways, um, so he's supposed to vanquish the humdrum, and it's kind of weird because it takes place in their last year at this at this magic school, um, where definitely stuff has happened before. Like he's him and his friends have killed a dragon. Um, his roommate Baz, who he hates, oh, he hates him. He hates him so much. He hates him. <laughs> like has tried to kill him before, and like just makes his life absolutely awful. And so he starts school, and um, and Baz isn't there, and he spends weeks, I don't know, months, obsessing over it about how much he hates Baz and how he must find him. <laughs> Baz finally comes back. Turns out Baz is in love with Simon. Big surprise. <laughs> Once again, it's we love that Hark of Agrant comic. <laughs> That's like I keep I hate my enemy, my nemesis so much. I keep a picture of him yeah. on my bed. <laughs> so I'm always reminded of how much I hate him. That is that is them so much. <laughs> like I wouldn't be surprised if she saw that and was like, yeah. What's it? So what's it? And they have to go through the humdrum is trying to kill um Simon. Um, I won't spoil the ending or anything, but that's essentially it. And he has to team up with Baz to help find what happened to Baz's mother while also trying to deal with the fact that he's the chosen one and the humdrum and his 
father figure is the mage who everyone hates and there definitely it's like a revolution trying to happen that um, very much reminded me of Harry Potter and that like they don't want normals in which they call them to be able to learn magic and people and people who have not as much magic shouldn't be able to they should have their wands taken away so like very much that political stuff going on um but what I really liked about this book was Baz I fucking love him and he's not a good person like his family is classist. Um, he's he's the Draco. Right? Yes, he is. He is Draco. But Draco, like I want to say, he's worse than Draco. I don't know. I'd have to really think about that. But um, like he legitimately tried to kill Simon. Like legitimately is like I have to kill him. I love him. Um, and knows that one day he will have to kill him, and he has accepted that. Um, and Simon's accepted that, that he has to kill Baz. Like, this is known. Except that the fact that they have to live as roommates for, like, 13 years. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, I really liked it. I thought it was super good. If you want to read something that's Harry Potter, but, like, fixes a lot of stuff that currently sucks about J.K. Rowling, I definitely suggest it. Um, I loved Baz and Simon. I I can't tell you how much I love Baz so much he's so wonderful he's so flawed and the most perfect flawed boy that ever was in my head he's so hot i love him um he has his other friends like the hermione and he has the the ron except they a little bit different like one of them's really useless uh at least i think so i think agatha agatha is kind of useless but i think she has a lot of potential and i don't know i'm on the second one i don't know if they're going to tap into it that much but uh, i mean that sounds a lot like how ron was treated in harry potter I guess that's true. But this is me staring into the camera like <laughs> Agatha like legit like I don't want to be a mage anymore. <laughs> um I liked it. I think yeah, I think if you if you love Harry Potter and it, you're like kind of like wow, it really sucks that JK Rowling is a turf, I think this will scratch that itch for you um on a lot of different levels. Like um obviously it's not going to fill that Harry Potter space because it's hard to um, especially if you grew up with it like like we did. Um, but it definitely feels like, oh, I want to watch Harry Potter or I want to read Harry Potter. I guess I could do that. This will this will be better. Like, I, I won't feel bad doing this, <laughs> uh, which really sucks. God, I, I around this like like fall time, I always want to watch the third Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And like now I feel bad. I'll probably still watch it because I fucking love that movie. My personal this is I think we talked about this yeah. when she first did her her real hardcore turf manifesto. My personal thing is I'm not giving away my Harry Potter books because like I have notes from my grandparents in them. Mm -hmm. I have so many memories with them, but I never need to buy another piece of Harry Potter merchandise. Mm -hmm. I don't ever need to spend any money on anything relating to Harry Potter again. Um, I and sold I don't, all my clothes that are Harry Potter. Yeah, and I don't need it. Ever, like I don't need to talk about it ever again. Everybody's aware of it. Like I don't yeah. need to. I don't need to talk about how much I love Harry Potter. But if I'm gonna like watch Harry Potter, that's that's for me and my God. To, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it is. It's really difficult, and like I just don't need to talk about it. You know, I don't. I've already spent the money. Yeah, I think it's a really hard thing for our generation to really deal with because. Well, there, it's not hard for some people. That's true. Let me tell you, there are some people out there just still making tons and tons, like talking out of both sides of their mouth, mm-hmm. making tons of Harry Potter content, being like, well, of course I don't support um, 
Yeah, I mean, I did that. I went to Harry Potter land and I was like, hey, I'm here. And then I'm like, fuck J.K. Rowling, though. But I'm here. Like, you know, like, it's hard because I go there and I do feel like this very emotional connection. Like, I like Harry Potter was a really, really, really big part of my life and like my development and the things that I liked. We you and I literally first hung out at a Harry Mm -hmm. Potter movie and I met my husband at a Harry Potter. Yeah, like it is an undeniable part of my life. So it's like hard to go into when I went to Wizarding World and then like not get emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, here's even more emotional because I'm like, I don't know how to feel. Here's the thing. J.K. Rowling provided a space in which we were allowed to have those experiences. She did not create the experience. She did not introduce you and I. She did not introduce me to my husband. Um, And she decided to set fire to her own legacy by being a piece of turfy shit. So she said she would just like fix herself. Yeah. She doesn't have to because she's a billionaire. Um, I wonder how her kids feel. I don't know. But the the thing to me is that like going into, you know, Wizarding World of Harry Potter and still feeling emotional about it is not like... It's not, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think I can stop that. You still, like, of course you have emotions. That's a big part of your life. And you invested a lot of time um, and emotion into that. And that's not less real just because JK Rowling's a piece of shit. The thing that gets, the thing that gets me is like people that are still like creating Harry Potter merchandise and selling it online and being like, well, of course I don't support transphobia. This is just what I do. Yeah. Um, And it's like, you could just not though. Like, you could just not do that. You could not base your entire public persona on your Harry Potter robe collection or something like that, you know? Like, and I'm talking specifically about cis people here. I, like, I don't, I don't know of any trans content creators that are doing this specifically, but I do know of cis ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's the thing that gets me is it's just like, you, are you, you're talking out of both sides of your, of your mouth right now. You're telling me, of course, I don't s- support transphobia, but I'm still going to throw money at, a woman who's a violent transphobe. Yeah. So if you like privately are watching Harry Potter, then like that's, that's for you and your God. Yeah. That's between you <laughs> and, and I, God. and I, I'm there with you. Yeah. We're all sinners. Yeah. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. I can't tell that the third movie is so fucking good. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, Alfonso Cuaron really knocked it out of the fucking park. You just got to think about how he had to do that to do children, children of, of men. men and yeah. that's actually what you're supporting. <laughs> <laughs> Children of Men is so good. It is really good. Um, th- but that's that's my thing. Is like she does. J.K. Rowling will never have control over the positive memories and associations that we have with the series. She just provided a space for us to make them in, and she doesn't get to take them back. We get to own them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, she just also doesn't ever get any of my money or attention mm-hmm. ever again. She's not entitled to that. Yeah. So read Carry On instead. Yeah. <laughs> And that's definitely like it. This is the intent of the book. Right. It clearly is. I mean, yes, the relationship and stuff and the characters are really good. But this is very much like, man, this sucks. I'm going to fix it. And I think that's really valuable. Like, I think that um, any, anything that has a cultural impact like Harry Potter is worthy of reinterpretation by people who, well, I don't know Rainbow Rolls, like very specific identity cross-section or anything like that but like when it comes to people reimagining series i welcome that so much Mm -hmm. like i welcome a queer take on harry potter an indigenous take on harry potter a disabled take on harry potter like i i welcome all of those things i because we need them Mm -hmm. we don't need the same um perspectives repeated over and over again Mm -hmm. um so you know rainbow rule might have some issues as an author um but a reimagining of the series from a different perspective or with a different um a different goal of inclusion and that kind of thing I think is a, is still very good. Um, yeah, carry on's good. Good. <laughs> carry on. <laughs> carry on. 
Um, so I finished last night the season <gasps> finale of the final season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. How did they handle it? It's a complicated question. Um, There's no way it can't be. Yeah, it, it is. It is a it's a complicated question. So here's here's kind of the rundown. So the show went on hiatus um, between over the year of 2020. Um, and they basically, if I remember correctly, they scrapped the entire season. And this was oh. this was in response to the protests about uh, against police brutality throughout the world. Um, some members of the cast, I know for certain, uh, Stephanie Beatriz was very outspoken about her support of the protests and and specifically against police brutality. Um, and so there were significant rewrites to the season to address those issues, which I think this was planned to be the last season anyway. Um, but they really made that a part of it. They hired more black writers. I don't, I can't say exactly how many, nor can I say exactly how big of an impact they had. Um, but I was curious, like, did they, did they make an effort to include black perspectives on the writing team? And I went and checked the credits and sure enough, they did. There were black writers on the, on the staff this time. I don't know if there were before, but there were for, for certain in this season, um, some of whom were new. Um, and police brutality did, in fact, become a major part of this season's story arc. So I won't spoil everything, um, but the the first episode opens with it takes place like a year maybe from now, hopefully. Um, it takes place post coronavirus pandemic. Um, they mentioned like they mentioned that briefly and are basically like, we're just gonna skip all that. Okay, bye. Um, and it uh what happens is that Rosa, played by Stephanie Beatrice, has resigned. Um, she basically said in I can't in good conscience be a cop. Mm-hmm. Um so Fair. she she resigns and becomes a private detective. Um the rest of the cast remains as um as part of the police force through the majority of the season, you have different characters um, tackling different parts of this. You have um, uh, fucking Jake. God, I can never remember his character's name. He's oh, he's just Andy Samberg. Um, you have him kind of grappling with his romanticization of the police as um, a good helping force and, uh, and the rest just being a few bad apples. Um, you have conversations about how corruption, um, how corruption persists because of management, even management that is like, quote unquote, doing the right thing. Um, you have conversations about, uh, police unions and how destructive they can be. Um, all of this is happening within the context of the show. Like the characters are talking about this and they're grappling with this. Um, the thing is that, I mean, it is still a sitcom. And it is a sitcom that is not targeted at audiences that are already leftist police abolitionists, right? Mm -hmm. So if you watch this show and you are already like, you know, we should abolish the police, not reform the police, not like not, you know, that kind of thing. If you if you are in favor of police abolition, um, the show's not going to cut it for you. (laughs) Like it's not it's not going to uh, it's not that radical. Um, but I think that this show is targeted at a very large mainstream audience, many of whom watched the protests and the injustices happening over, you know, over 2020 and throughout history, but especially in 2020 when it became such a focus of mainstream attention. Um, and maybe they haven't really done the research because as much as we would like people to, not everybody does, you know, not everybody's out here reading Angela Davis and getting really into the police abolition movement. Um, this is for, I think this really is effective for people like our parents, mm-hmm. you know, people who are like, oh yeah, I'm totally on board. Uh, the, you know, these people shouldn't have been killed. This was a gross misstep, but did they really have to riot? You know, did they really have to do this? Like, is this really, it's, it's hitting 
that demographic. So when I watch it, I'm like, this is kind of toothless, right? This isn't really pushing, but it is reaching a demographic who maybe hasn't been reached otherwise Hmm. because you have characters that they know that, that this audience knows and loves saying things like, wow, the police union is really messed up and we need to do something about that. Hmm. You have, um, you have characters, um, you know, talking about police brutality and it's, and the, um, the way that it's systemic. You have you have these really these ideas that would have been unthinkable, I think, to see on a sitcom three years ago, mm. now being a huge part of the season's plotline. Was it perfectly executed? No. It wasn't. Like that's just a fact. Um a spoiler for the end of the season, the majority of the police force remains at the end of it. Hmm. Focused on reform from within. I won't spoil who does what, but you can probably make good guesses. You could probably make some very good guesses. A couple of people do leave for different reasons. Um, I did say Rosa leaves like before the first episode even takes place. So Rosa's not on the force anymore. She's a detective, um, but a private detective rather. Uh, and two other characters do leave the force, both for different reasons. Um, at the end of the second to last episode, I called exactly what was going to happen in the final episode. Hmm. Um, and it was a good ending. Like that's the, good. The ending for that character was very fitting. Um, and I thought, I thought that worked really well. It was a very sweet emotional ending. Would I have liked to see them all resign? Yes, I would have. I would, I would have loved that. I thought that would have been really gutsy, but again, this show isn't for this show. The the commentary the show is making is not for me, a person who's already on board with police abolition. I think that people watching this show who haven't already been exposed to um, that, like more um, explicit side of, you know, the defund the police and abolish the police movement. I think that they are going to, I think this really could benefit in making them curious about the systematic issues or the systemic issues rather in the police force. I I think that it would be good from that perspective. It kind of reminds me of um, Winter Soldier Falcon show. Mm-hmm. At the end, there's this very like it feels very corny um, that Falcon gives about racism essentially, and how uh, if, if I remember correctly, it's like you always love me as um, as this superhero, but you don't love me as a black man. Mm-hmm. And the whole storyline of like mm-hmm. there were there was a black Captain Captain America, and you with them and it felt very corny to me but for somebody for someone who is mainstream fan of marvel um that could have been very um helpful because the show was good and i thought it depicted those things well so it kind of feels like that of like that that speech probably wasn't for me right it did feel corny i would have loved if this if the final season of brooklyn 99 was them saying we refuse to be copaganda they did not do that they did not. The show still ends with the majority of the characters still as part of the police. The show, like I, like I said, I would have loved to see the show resist being propaganda in the final season. It does not do that, um, and I think that's going to be a disappointment to a lot of a lot of viewers. But I also think that there is there is benefit in the first half of the season with all of the issues that they're tackling, which are not handled perfectly, which will often feel corny or preachy. Um, but I don't think that means that they weren't worthwhile. Whether or not the show is propaganda is something that we talked about a lot on our episode of it. I have complex feelings about it. I think it's not not propaganda. 
Um, but I also think it's doing something quite different from like law and order. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those they may be two different flavors of copaganda, but <laughs> I think I think the goals are are very different. Um, I really like Brooklyn Nine Nine as a show overall. I think the last season was not its best, um, but I I am appreciative of what it was trying to do, even and maybe especially because it wasn't trying to do it for me as a viewer. Again, would have loved to see the whole police force resign. Um, I'm, but you know, the show's just not there, and that's whatever. Mm. Um, but just know going into it that like it's not go- <laughs> it's not going to be as radical as you want it to be. Um, but that doesn't mean that what it does is without value because there are people out there like when I say our parents, I do mean literally yeah our parents i mean like mine and mary's parents yeah who you know maybe are they've seen you know they've seen the protests they've seen all of this go on and they're like yeah no police brutality it's super bad but like what are we gonna do without the police like it can't what about murders there's not all you know it's just a few bad apples blah 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 blah. and it's like well no there are there are systemic issues that need to be addressed and i think that's the kind of audience that would successfully watch this and be like get curious about things like blue flu or why police unions are bad like how can you be pro unions except the police like that doesn't make any sense it's like well because that union's fucked up um that's the kind of audience i think is going to benefit uh off of that note entirely dan gore and michael schur i am begging you to write me a compelling relationship beyond when the characters I like get together. <laughs> That's the end. <laughs> I'm begging you. I, this is the meanest thing that I have to say. And I said it while watching the show and I'm going to take it out if I think it's too mean. So if you're listening to live stream, which if you're listening to live stream, you, you may be the only one to get this. Uh, one of the things I liked most about the good place is the fact that like, they can't make anybody get married and have children because they're all dead. Because every one of Michael Schur and Dan Gore's shows, the moment a couple gets together, they cease to be interesting, especially the female character. They've hit endgame. Ugh. That's like, what it is. They've hit endgame. It happened in The Office with Jim and Pam. Yep. The show I'm the show went downhill after Jim and Pam got together. Uh I mean it arguably went downhill before then, but like it didn't get better after that. Um Parks and Recreation specifically the direction yeah. for Andy and April's relationship yeah. uh, in um, it, and then in Brooklyn Nine-Nine the re- the relation the like building and like the flirtation and the denial of Jake and Amy's relationship was choice so good so good and then yeah. they got together and Ugh. like it's not like they get bad or anything i think i think they are getting better at this as as a team you know like when they're writing together but like <sighs> they sure did immediately have a child and then amy was amy's story was kind of sidelined and she barely appeared in the season and i think that whoa. that may be i'm i may be completely wrong but i think that may be uh, a symptom of that generation Mm-hmm. Um, because I think if you, if a like millennial type of idea coming at that, definitely, obviously, like we're not having kids early. We're not having them right as we get married or we're not having them at all. And so I think that there's this like generation that they did. That's what that was the end game. Now they are adult. Yeah. Um, I, and you know, I fucking hate that. Yeah. So I think that, um, that's just a not being not, not current with like, 
cultural norms. Yeah. I overall, I really liked Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I do think that it went downhill for seasons five and six, I think. Um, but overall, I liked it. And again, the season is not going to fulfill your police abolition dreams <laughs> or anything like that. Well, um, I'm sure it's difficult to do that, like with uh, the network and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the season was really short and they were airing two episodes at a time. Oh, so they wanted it done. Yeah, <laughs> this seems to be the case. Wow. So um, it's not perfect and it's not even ideal. It's not the ending I would have liked to see. Um, but overall, I thought that the last season was effective and interesting and probably more beneficial to other people than to me. Nice. Let me tell you, Mary, about some things. Are you ready? Let me tell you this. Your cat's disgusting. I look over at Penny and just <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with my fucking animal. <laughs> I just heard something. I was just paying. <laughs> she probably had hair in her mouth. Um, I would like to invite you, Mary. Me? You. Me. To take a seat on the wench bench. Oh, this, this, this is what I've been waiting for. You've been this waiting is what my life. life has been leading up to. <laughs> You've been waiting your whole life to, to it's my take a seat on the wench new bench. Disney ride. The Wench Bench is a podcast where two friends, Allison, a frustrated feminist, and Fonda, a positive-seeking adult, discuss fabulous fictional females. Each episode, one of the hosts covers a different woman from all kinds of media. Um, just a few of the characters that they've already covered include... Uh, Amy Pond from Doctor Who and talking about how first impressions are not always right. I'm super into that because uh, if you go into the deep fake geek girls lore, <laughs> you true. might discover that we did do an episode where we talked about Doctor Who, among other things, a long time ago. And I I fucking love Haiti, Haiti Pond. Mm-mm, Amy Pond. Uh, hate what the show did to her. <laughs> love Amy Pond. Hate what they did to her. Um, they also have episodes about Medusa, the original nasty woman from Ooh. Greek myth, uh, and Princess Mononoke, uh, including how incredible the town built by Lady Eboshi is. Hmm. The, if, basically, if you like us, it sounds like you're going to like the wench bench. It's true. Um, and so many more. So many more. I could read them all, but it would take a while. Um, get ready for rants and tangents about problematic tropes, the evils of capitalism, and the importance of representation nestled in amongst fangirling, nerding out, and celebrating characters that... They love or we love. We love them. You probably love them. They love them. We're full of love here. It's true. You can find the Wench Wench Bench wherever podcasts can be found, as well as Twitter and Instagram at Wench Bench Pod. Check them out. It was foretold that you would be here at this very moment listening to this very ad copy and even that you would consider skipping ahead a bit. Wait, wait. Stay with us for just a moment to tell of Poison of Prophecy, an actual play tabletop podcast Using the Ryutama game system, aka what if Studio Ghibli made an Oregon Trail RPG? Definitely Sounds thought great. You're gonna say orgasm. No. <laughs> Oregon Trail. Oh, the Orgasm Trail. I also don't I you know, I feel like Studio Ghibli is a uh, contentious pronunciation. I apologize if I have done dirty by you. Studio Jello. <laughs> Poison and Prophecy is a story about divination. It's an exploration of what kind of world and people that power would shape. With Norse mythology as a baseline, we've taken inspiration from Fallout and added a bit of Terry Pratchett-style humor. I say we. I am not involved in this podcast, but they they did it. We. I mean, we, the the, um, oracle voices speaking through me. Yes. Um, Together, we explore a cold but gentle frozen land. Starring Barbara Perez Marquez as 
Yasena, a fortune teller, Jen Vaughn as Larkspur, a mail carrier, Paul Harpring as Clive, the mushroom farmer, and Matt Woodyard as the game master. Listen to Poison of Prophecy on the Crow's Codex podcast feed uh, at on their website at crowscodex.com and on Twitter at the Crowdex. Love a good crow. Lastly, it has been predicted that you will leave a, a rating or a review of Fakey Girls after you finish listening to this episode. Whoa. Whoa. Prophecy. I don't know what took hold of me there. I don't remember the last minute. Weird. You made a million dollars and then you lost it. Damn it. I read Neon Gods, uh, which is a very horny book. <laughs> um, about- they should put that on the cover. <laughs> they they should because I wasn't prepared for how... Listen, I read the horny book, so it wasn't like crazy. But I wasn't prepared for the horniness of it. Um, it is the it is the story of Persephone and um, Hades. And it's a very... It's a modern, almost like mafia type story. Um which I know is a whole like mafia. I've I've learned this. I didn't know this. Like mafia, horny mafia is oh, its yeah. own thing. Like it has its own. Like it's a huge genre section or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I don't think this is what that was. But um, from what I understand, a lot of the mafia stuff is also like dark, like really dark and fucked up. But I haven't read it. So, but this kind of felt like maybe that late. Who knows? I don't know. I haven't read it. Anyway, so it's just, it's the modern story of Persephone and Hades and starts with like no one knows that Hades is still alive. Um, and these families, um, they are the gods and goddesses are people. They don't necessarily have like power powers, but they do have skills. And some of them are like, it's like, it's like, politicians right some of them are voted into their position and some of them the bigger ones like zeus hades and ocean man um (laughs) poseidon Poseidon. they are they become power you're gonna get cursed i know he's he's vengeful (laughs) through uh family you've read the odyssey that's true i have it's not good it's fine i just can't go near an ocean now um it's it's past you like it's it's a family thing um you what's it called inherit inherit the title um and it is about starts off with zeus is awful as we all know yeah and uh uh demeter 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 i don't know uh decides that she wants to give her daughter persephone to zeus even though uh zeus has killed every single one of his wives before and he's a bad 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 man and also gross and she's doing it to enhance her political career and persephone's like i'm just waiting to turn like 25 so i can get my inheritance and get the fuck out of here so she finds out that she's getting an arranged marriage like the moment they they announce it at a party. Like she doesn't find out until he says it, he announces it. And later on she just runs. Does she, he does he greet her by saying hello future wife and then she throws coffee at him? No, but I wish that's how it happened with Hades. <laughs> Uh, she starts she tries to leave and she starts running and she's getting chased by these people who obviously were sent by Zeus and and it was interesting because they're sent not to capture her but to scare her like he is he is he is a bad person and she ends up crossing over into Hades land (laughs) it's just Hades Hades the lower city is what Hades the ruler of Hades Hades the ruler of Hades Hades I like Hades town (laughs) Uh, that's my that's my favorite musical (laughs) 
Um, that's probably why I was thinking about it. anyways she goes there she got crosses through sticks and it's very painful and she goes there and Hades finds her and it's like what the fuck are you doing here you're a socialite she's she's like a socialite but all of her sisters are very um craft crafty in the in the type of uh image that they put out there so like she's actually really smart um she wants to go get her masters and she's clever and she knows exactly it kind of reminds me of Listen, if you don't know anything about Paris Hilton, then you won't understand. But it kind of reminds me of Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. She's very, very much crafted like her her image to make money. And that's kind of what Persephone not to make Persephone doesn't want to make money. She just wants to get through this. And he's like, he's like, oh no, man, you're Zeus's future wife. And she's like, I can't go back there. And he's like, um, that's okay, because I'm gonna ho- I'm not gonna he doesn't hold her hostage. He says, I just want to get back at Zeus. So like, let's just pretend I'm holding you hostage. That's good. Right. And then she's like, actually, what if we pretended we were in a good old horny relationship? And he, first he's like, nah, dude. And then he's like, yo, I'm going to fuck her. I love this characterization of Hades that you're giving me where he's like, no, dude, I love this. Actually, it's more like, um, if you're going to be with me, then you have to have sex with me in front of people at my BDSN club. Oh, okay. Okay. That's different than yeah, dude. I'm waiting for my yeah dude. <laughs> yeah, where is yeah dude Hades? Where is yeah dude Hades? Hit me up. And so the story is with you know, it, not yeah dude. I don't want yeah dude Hades to hit me up. I don't know. I would. Uh, that's for you. I mean, but, uh, just just for that experience. Uh, but Hades is is I'm down with Hades. Maybe not the public sex at a BDSM club where everyone's invited to watch. Um, and like that's the way of gaining power. Um, it was interesting. It was definitely, you know, it wasn't vanilla. <laughs> but BDSM, What's the spice rating? I don't, I, I don't know if I, like the BDSM. Beyond. The BD, okay. The BDSM club is a lot, but it's still very much like P and the B mm-hmm. and oral sex. Okay. It's just voyeuristic. Okay. Um, so it's, it's spicy. I think the voyeurism adds a little spicy. It does. That's the thing is it does. It, it does. It definitely feels like. I'm super horny. All right, let's sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. And then it's like, but let's have rough horny sex. None of this missionary. Okay. And then it's like, let's go fuck my BDSM. <laughs> and um, you know, it you know, he's obviously soft. Um, with her obviously it has to be of course of course and they fall in love and then they have to figure out how the fuck they're going to get through this because um some things happen and Hades kind of fucks everything up for her and she's very upset about that um not like he fucks it up for her he fucks up life for his people and him to save her actually to save someone else but um so like navigating through that whole thing i thought it was um does he invent capitalism because he misses her no because that's the plot of hades town (laughs) no he crosses to save her sister you can dig this out he crosses to save her sister and he's not supposed to cross i see and if you cross then uh essentially the other side is able to wage war and uh to neither um provides food to everyone and so they cut off food and stuff um, he's been hoarding it, but his people will go without it if they go into his people will die. I see. Um, and he's a very good ruler. Everyone loves him. That is not true of Hades. They're musical. like, yeah, dude, we love you. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, 
I thought that, I mean, obviously it's going to feel like every other interpretation of Hades and Persephone. I don't think it was doing anything new. I mean, I haven't read Hades and Persephone at a BDSM club. That could happen in the third um, Hades Persephone book that I also am reading. Not right now, but the I can't remember what they're, what they're called. That could happen. I could see it. But it, it definitely felt like that same kind of um feeling there are other books I, I saw that there are other books i'm like i thought this was a standalone it is a standalone of their story the next one is about one of her sisters and apollo i have no idea i no, it's not apollo because it's one of zeus's sons and um i might read it but i felt like that it kind of ended the story and i'm okay to leave this world and move on so i appreciated that i liked it it was good i don't think it brought anything new um except um some BDSM club. I don't. I haven't read, to my knowledge. No, maybe, maybe I have. Anyways, it was fine. Wasn't doing anything crazy except, except some things like crazy sex. Um, there's no yeah, dude. But there is definitely Hades getting a gun and putting it into the back of his pants, which is some for some reason very attractive. Mm, it's one of those things. It's one of those like smoking, fuck yeah. smoking, disgusting. But when my husband smokes, I'm just like, especially if it, when he has his leather jacket on, I'm just like. There's no explaining. And his boots that make him really tall. There's no explaining some of the things that are attractive. It's just not right. One I'm, time I ran, I didn't run a poll, but I asked on Twitter, everybody tell me the thing that you most inexplicably find attract- attractive. Um, and I got some really good answers. Yeah, it is interesting. I know a lot of people are the putting the arm behind behind the, the chair when you're driving mm-hmm. and looking back. It's just a really good time to like flex an arm. Yeah. So. Rolling the sleeves up. Rolling the sleeves up. That's really good. But when it comes to things that like I'm not into, like the gun in the back of his pants. He's going to shoot his butt cheek off. I mean, he's Hades. It'd be fine. It would grow back. It'll grow back. I actually don't think it'll get like, do you, they are not immortal. <laughs> See, just the God of death with one butt cheek. <laughs> no, wait, that happens. Really? That happened to fuck. It was one of the gods. <laughs> his butt cheek got bitten off, <laughs> and it was like the it was like the legacy. That's why his descendants have small butts. All right, I can't remember. He put the gun in the back of his pants. It wasn't Achilles, but I think it started with an A. This is real. <laughs> this is this is something I really read, and I can't remember which. It's god not it was. surprising for Greek mythology. I can't remember what happened to his butt. I think he sat in a seat that was like it was a magical sticky seat, and it just ripped his <laughs> butt off. That's disgusting. <laughs> I wish I could remember who this was. <laughs> it wasn't Hades. It wasn't Hades. Uh, I'm gonna Google it. Oh, wait. I said who was by right? Neon, Neon Gods is by Katie Robert. BT Dub. Uh, God, sticky <laughs> chair. <laughs> this is why you should Buttocks. be Patreon and be Patreon and get our live streams or are unedited. Uh, this might have been actually a. Di- there might be more than one, but one of them was um, the rescue of Theseus and Perithus. Perithus. Hmm. Um, in one comedy, Heracles attempted to free them from the rock to which they had been bound together in the underworld for having tried to carry out Persephone. He succeeded in freeing only Theseus and... Oh, no, it was Theseus. Of course it was Theseus. Fuck that dude. (laughs) Theseus left his buttocks attached to the rock. That's disgusting. (laughs) Due to this, Theseus came to be called hypolispos, meaning with hinder parts rubbed smooth. (laughs) Theseus Theseus only has half a butt. You heard it here. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we now know this. 
fuck Theseus. That's my opinion. All right, and that's where I'll end this. Fuck Theseus. I like Neon Gods if you want some horny Hades and Persephone, which I feel like is a lot of Hades and Persephone mm. uh, retelling. Um, uh, go read it. It was it was an easy, nice, intense, horny book. Nice. Um, I read... <laughs> You want the opposite? Because I read my Solo Exchange Diary Volume 2 by Nagata Kabi. I talked about the first volume last time. I won't spend too much time on this one. Um, but this is a continuation of uh, Nagata Kabi's uh, journal comics um, following her life after publishing My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness, which is uh, an, a manga about her, um, you know, basically just being so fucking lonely and closeted. Um, and hiring an escort just to be touched, basically. Um, my Solo Exchange Diary vol- Volume 2 is kind of about her relationship with her family, especially after they find out what her first book was about um, and her struggles to understand her relationship with her mother and her um, just her mental health in general. It's It's rough. It's really rough. And I keep hoping that the next volume is going to be like, I've tur- I turned it all around. Well, the next volume is called My Alcoholic Escape from Reality. Yike. So I have a feeling she's not going to turn it all around. Um, the worst, this is the worst part about it. I'm like, these books came out a while ago and like, obviously they're, they're retrospective, right? Like she's not writing them as they're happening. So I can go look like, where is she at in her life now? Well, Missy, she's Japanese. You cannot read her Twitter. You don't. You don't read Japanese. Uh, Get so Joey to translate it for I, you. I use Google's uh, or I use Twitter's uh, translation feature, and it only kind of works. Um, but like, I really liked it. I think they're very good. They are not uh, because they are memoirs, and they are written as like individual journal pieces. Um, they don't they don't have narrative in the way like they don't have a linear narrative in the way that you would expect. Um, so they're not like my lesbian experience with loneliness was like, it really much, it felt like a story. These don't necessarily feel like stories, especially from beginning to end, but I think they're very good, but they are very, very sad and, um, and difficult in terms of the, the material. She is really going through it. She ends up, um, being committed briefly in volume two. Um, she struggles with self harm in a variety of ways. She struggles with alcoholism. Um, just, there's a lot that she's going through and I hope, I hope I'm going to read one of her manga someday where it's going to be like, I feel great. (laughs) That's, that's my dearest hope in the world. I hope Nagata Kabi is doing okay, but I think these books are really good. Well, that's good. Um, I read We Hunt the Flame, which is Hafsa Faisal. It's Hafsa Faisal. That's what it is. And it's about um, a girl named Zaf- uh, Zafira. She is she hunts in this like wooded area that people, when they go in, either they go like crazy or they simply just don't come back. But for some reason, she's able to go in, hunt, and provide food for her little her town and her family. And, um, but she does it as a man because women are not treated equally in, in this world as, as they are not everywhere now. Um, and so she has to pretend she's a man who goes hunting and she's kind of like known as the hunter. And on the other side, there's an assassin. His name is, uh, Nasir and he is the prince and he, they call him like the prince of death or something like that. Yeah. The prince of death. And he is like, 
like an assassin, like, oh, I have to kill a kid. I guess that's what I got to do. I, mean, I kind of feel bad, like, but this is the life that I have to have. He's a killer, uh, which I appreciate. I appreciate like the whole, um, yeah, I'm sad about it, but I still going to kill um, because I think it's easy to just be like, oh, but I let him go. <laughs> Which is nice, I guess. Um, and this is this is definitely a YA, so I was really impressed by it. Anyways, it happens where she has to go find something. The flame, essentially. I think they call it something else. The flame to help bring magic back to the world. Because there's still, there's still magic in some places, but the magic has been taken away from most places around this, around this um, not village, this whole, I'll call it country. And uh, it's what's causing essentially the the world to die. The foods, the food source is gone and the woods are dying. And there's this dark, this dark thing that's ever in the woods, which is what she can get through coming to essentially going to just destroy everything. So she's like, I have to go. If I don't go, I may, I may not come back, but if I don't go, everybody may die. So she goes and then um, Nasir has, has been asked to, go on a quest to kill the hunter because her, his father knows that they're going after the flame. And then he finds her and he almost kills her. But then he's like, I can't do that. And uh, then he's like, Oh no, man, you're a woman. And she's like, no fucking shit. That's what, like, she, she's just like, you're annoying and I hate you. And it's very much bantery back and forth. And they clearly like each other, but it never really happens. Um, there's a second book, which I'll be reading. I have it on my hold list, I think. And um, it's just a lot of really good banter back and forth. And there's a good story in there. I didn't love it. Um, I see it all the time on like book talk and Instagram and stuff. So I, I was, I thought it, maybe my hopes were really high because I see it all the time, especially like the lover, the enemies to love, to lovers thing. Um, I kind of felt like I did with, um, the bridge kingdom or something like, I think it's the bridge kingdom where like, I like this, I like their relationship, but I'm not itching to go read the next book. Um, I liked the characters. I liked the magic. I liked how it was um, taken away. I liked the lore. I thought it was all interesting. I just, it just didn't grab me in the way in which I wish it had. Um, but I liked it. I think it, I think it's worth reading. If you like that, if you like, if you're like, Oh, this sounds interesting. I think it's worth reading. I just wasn't like, I need to w read the next book, which is often what I have to do. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I got for that. Nice. Um, the last thing I have is that I just finished season. I think it's season six of legends of tomorrow, which was a wild, <laughs> like, and more wild listen, than normal. <laughs> every season of legends of tomorrow is buck fucking wild. It is the wildest thing you've ever seen. But this one, <laughs> was super weird it so each season seems to have like a different kind of um genre thing that it's doing and this one the first half of the first season was very pulp sci-fi um there were a lot of goofy looking aliens um sarah at the end of season five was abducted by aliens for reasons we don't know um until season six um and yeah, it was pretty wild. There was evil Elon Musk was a big villain in this season. I mean, is there not evil <laughs> Elon Musk? Oh, yeah, that's true. He, but he's like, uh, what if Elon Musk? This is a this is a slight spoiler. What if Elon Musk was the inventor of Ava from Legends of Tomorrow? Because mm. um, she's a clone, even if she doesn't like that word. Um, 
but uh so there was a lot of <laughs> he's like he likes to sing and dance um he was a villain in the vein of the villain of charlie's angels oh my gosh the movie <laughs> starring drew barrymore lucy Liu, and formative movie for what missy the fuck was the other person in that movie? drew barrymore i said drew barrymore Lucy, lucy Liu. Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Okay, that's why I didn't remember. <laughs> God, what's she doing? Two two of those people had a formative impact on my life, and the other one is Cameron Diaz. Sorry, Despite Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz in the little underwear, the like famous dancing scene of her in the underwear that everyone loves. In in Charlie's Angels? I'm pretty sure. That could be. Um, like I said, two of the main people in Charlie's Angels made a large impact on me and one of them did not. Anyway, I'm not talking about Charlie's Angels. I'm talking about Legends of Tomorrow. Um, he was very much a villain in that vein. I felt that the season wasn't my favorite. Uh, it wasn't my least favorite. Um, it wasn't my least favorite season because no matter what happens, it's not going to be season one. Um, so that's good. Uh, but the season was, I think the season was really <laughs> hindered by filming during COVID. There's, if I think, um, hopefully in ten years, uh, I'll look back on this season and be like, that sure was what it was like, wasn't it? Because there's <laughs> some wild stuff going on, as far as um, the like the fact that it seemed like they were all filming in pods, and so there would be like one character simply would not appear in an entire episode for reasons that were not explained. Um, they just wouldn't be there. Like what happened to Barad that season? That's that episode. I don't know. He just wasn't there. He was napping, maybe. Um, but he just did not appear. Or my personal favorite. This is a spoiler for this season. <laughs> I can't express how weird this season is. Um, this is a spoiler. Gary has been an alien the whole time, as one does. And when he puts his glasses on, he looks like a person. If he takes the glasses off. He well, I think he can also turn into an alien without the glasses. Regardless, he's an alien. He has a big alien form, um, and uh, sometimes he would just be an alien. Um, and I think the reason was that maybe he was not part of the filming pod that week, so he would be in a human for most of the episode, and then suddenly he would be an alien for just part of the episode. It was so strange. I cannot, I cannot explain. Um, overall, the season was okay. Now, I know the thing that everybody is like at the edge of their seat. What is Missy going to say about the end of the season? <laughs> because if you follow Legends of Tomorrow, again, spoilers, I'm talking about the end of the season. So if you haven't watched it yet, um, fast forward. Um, I know all of you understand the depths of my love for John Constantine. Mm. Um, and it was revealed shortly before the end of the season, uh, during the midseason break, that this would be uh, not Matt Ryan's final season because that is not how the show works. Oh my gosh. It would be John Constantine's final season uh, for reason for, you know, a bunch of reasons. But one of them was essentially they felt like they were no longer telling a John Constantine story and it was doing the character a disservice to keep him kind of in this space. So this season has him becoming sort of a villain. Um, he ends up losing his magic and becomes corrupted by some dark magic, blah, blah, blah. That's very much a addiction story. Um, and, uh, the, I thought it was, here's the thing. I didn't love a lot of it. I didn't hate it. I just didn't love a lot of it. And I think, I think what they said was really true as much as I love legends of tomorrow. And as much as I love Matt Ryan's Constantine, and as much as I love Constantine on legends of tomorrow, I think the character had kind of overstayed his welcome. 
Constantine is not a character that I really want to see grow for a long period of time. I love to see it in increments, but like him being surrounded by all of this wholesomeness was very like, it didn't feel true. You know, it didn't feel, it didn't feel accurate to the character. It didn't feel accurate to what I loved about the character. Now, (laughs) I can't, I can't, this season's so fucking weird when I try to explain it. So at the end of the season, there's a big mushroom (laughs) that's like um, a big protective mushroom. Okay. You know, (laughs) and um, Constantine is trying to use the magic of the mushroom to get his own magic back, but he is poisoned uh, and dies. And (laughs) I, that was the ending. And I thought I was like, please, God don't let that be the actual ending. I don't like that at all. And I didn't. I Some people thought it was like, like I, I read an article that was like, this is the best ending for, for Constantine. And I was like, I super disagree. I don't like this as a final, as a final ending. It doesn't feel right to me. And I, I know I've said spoilers 800 times, but now I'm getting into literally the season finale and like the last minute of the season finale. <laughs> so if you haven't been warned off now, get out. Um, the season he—he's—he's. He's, I can't. It's so hard to <laughs> describe what literally happens in the show. There's a mushroom. There's another mushroom, and and Behrad takes a bite of it, and then he like hears from John because he's he's like dead, but also magic dead, you know. Um, and the fact that he did not die in the previous episode made me a lot happier because I didn't think that was a very good end for the character. And as it turns out, being John Constantine, he does some fuckery with his soul and he manages to come back to life and he leaves the legends of his own volition. And he leaves Zari, who he has been dating over the past like season and a third-ish. Um, he leaves her essentially because he's like, this isn't the right place for me. I'm a bad fucking person and I've caused misery in your life. Um but it it isn't it's when he leaves it's not in the very like typical like kicking his own ass kind of way um it doesn't feel it doesn't feel tragic it feels like growth for him to say i am hurting you and i am hurting others and it's for the good of everybody that i leave and i thought that was a great ending that was the kind of growth the kind of character growth that i wanted to see which is i'm leaving because it's the right thing to do and I'm hurting you as I'm leaving, but I would hurt you more if I stayed. And it's better for both of us that I go. And it felt true. And I I, I appreciated that. That was a really good ending for a character, probably like my favorite character in comics for sure. Maybe in fiction. I don't know. I haven't really tried to definitively rank them, but I thought that was a really good ending. I'm really glad Matt Ryan is staying. Um, he's just playing a different character. I love that the show does this. Um, it was also uh, Rory. It's also Rory's last season. And that's a bummer. But I have to be honest. The The show has not known what to do with Rory for <laughs> two seasons now. Um, that's a bummer. I wish that they would have done more. But they didn't. And um, yeah, it's it's really just a bummer. I love the new character, Spooner. I love her. I would die for her. The depth of love I had for Barad Tarazi is unbelievable. It is larger than the ocean. It is deeper than the Mariana Trench. Um, it's he's amazing, and I, I would die for him. Um, so yeah, the 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 moral of the story here is Legends of Tomorrow season six was not my favorite. 
Um, I did like the ending. You know what? I love that magic mushroom. I loved it. <laughs> I saw this big old fungus and I'm like, this is th- continually the show is marketing to the target demographic of me. You know what I love? I love mushrooms. You know what I love? John Constantine. Guess what? John Constantine becomes a mushroom. <laughs> did I write this season? <laughs> It's great. Um, it was a weird. It was a weird season. It wasn't my favorite season, but it's still Legends of Tomorrow, and I'm still there every fucking week, tuned the fuck in, like ready to go. I'm ready. I'm what? What weird shit are you gonna throw at me this season? I'm so ready for it. Is it puppets? Is it? I don't love the puppets. I gotta be real. And also, I don't think Bebo is cute. If Bebo never appeared on the show again, I would be happy. Sorry, unpopular opinion, but I don't like Bebo. Um, I didn't like Bebo too in this in this season. Um, I think season four is the best season because they were that was the, that was a good time. But you know what? I still love the show. I'll be there. I'll be there every every fucking week, ready for whatever weirdness they're gonna throw at me, and I will eat it up just like that. And there you have it. I love the yeah. I'm sorry for my disgusting mouth noises, but there is no other way to describe what i'm doing with legends of tomorrow every week <laughs> legends of tomorrow is my guiding light in the shithole that has been the last two years it's the only thing keeping me going it comes back inexplicably it comes back in less than a month it's only been off the air for like two weeks that's hilarious they know what i need and they're gonna keep feeding they're me. feeding you they're, they're feeding, feeding me they're sustaining me thank you legends of tomorrow you take what you can get and this happens to be good mm-hmm um, I watched Candyman, the new one, um, which is a sequel to the original Candyman um, from the 80s. Early 90s. Early 90s. It's like uh, 92. Yeah, which is a story of a man named the Candyman. And he has a hook for a hand. And <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched that in a very long time. I talked about it on our last yeah, one. So go listen to Missy's side. Um, this one is a sequel of um, the main character is a man. I, I can't remember his name because I don't remember names ever. And he is an artist and his girlfriend's brother comes and says, hey, do you want to hear a scary story? And tells a version of Candyman where um, the woman from the original one was went crazy, stole a baby and tried to kill it. That's not what happened in the original one. What was really, really, really cool about everything they had to say about the original lore of Candyman, and I didn't know this, but you can go watch a short film of this. Um, it's all done through like animated um, paper. Mm, I know what you're talking shadows about shadows, and kind of like um, in Harry Potter. Yeah, no, I think it's in the trailer. Yeah, it's. I think they use that animation in the trailer. Spectacular. I think it's a wonderful. I think th- this movie. I I thought was wonderful. Um, I thought it was a really good update. And so he learns about Candyman and he, he, he's trying to make his next great painting and his wife or girlfriend um, is a art dealer. She's very good at what she does and obviously got him into this one art gallery. And now he's trying to chase that. He finds out about Candyman. Um, he makes this art piece, which I thought was cool, which is a mirror and on the, the paper that explains that you're supposed to see Candyman five times into the mirror. and But if you open the mirror, there's like this other world in which are these paintings, which arguably aren't that good. Like, I don't think that they very good paintings. Um, but I think that they're supposed to look very much like that. Um, the animation mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's like 
this really dark area and everyone just basically makes fun of it. And he talks to this art critic about how it's um, about the gentrification of the projects that this took place in. And I, I thought that this part was so was done really well in that the art critic was like essentially said, yes, we've heard this story about gentrification. We get it give us something else black people. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because we do have a lot of stories about gentrification. And I think that all those stories are worth telling. And I can only imagine how many times like people are like, yes, yes, we get it. Gentrification. Um, but like gentrification is a real thing that people have to deal with and has like long lasting effects. And it's not just something like a story that it gets made. And now it's time to talk about something else. And I think that that this did that really well. I think it's a, and I think it's a double-edged sword too, because on the one hand, people like white people will be like, Oh, I'm so tired of stories about slavery or Mm -hmm. whatever, but then they don't show up to support anything else. Yes, exactly. So you end, it's like, um, I'm so tired. Oh God, I'm so tired of hearing about slavery. Oh, well here's, you know, a wonderful rom-com. Um, written and acted and directed by black people oh well that's about the black experience so i can't really identify with it yeah um to be clear these are not me speaking these are (laughs) Uh, invented people what happens is the guy who owns the gallery him and this girl um they're like they say can't even five times into the mirror and then they decide to have sex in the gallery um, but as they're about to do that, they both are killed right in front of it. I loved, I love to do a ritual and then just fuck right there. I mean, they they didn't believe it. They were like making. <laughs> I thought fun you were gonna it. say. I mean, you do that all the time. <laughs> and I was like, first of all, um, how would you know that? Second of all, I thought you it was need to be airing my dirty lunch. <laughs> I thought it was really good. Uh, what was and then that happens, and that kind of gains him some like popularity, and suddenly everyone thinks his art is just really amazing and beautiful and great. Um. And he is, he's like, well, I want to know more about Candyman. So he goes and he finds a man who lived in the projects and just keeps learning and learning, learning about him. He gets stung by a bee. If you've seen the original, you're like, oh shit, <laughs> bees. Um, and essentially he, he, he makes these portraits of, of Candyman. I can't remember his actual name. And, um, and just kind of goes crazy. And talks about how Candyman is not a man. Candyman is an experience of a black man being like the experience of a black man being beat by police and white people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like having and like having like what they have taken away from them. Um, It is a lore that is important and also like like scary, important. um, And the whole thing is like, say his name, Um, which I wow, I really just not got that. This was a good movie. <laughs> um, it just kind of escalates from there. And I just thought, I, you know, my husband and I were watching it. And I really loved the first, the original, the first one. And I really loved this. I thought it was a super good update. Um, Nina, what was it? Nina, Nina DaCosta did it. I love that it was by a black woman. Because um, you just don't see a lot of women in general doing horror, like mainstream horror. Um, and she, I thought she did just a wonderful job. She's also doing the Marvels. She hasn't really done anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done some shorts and that's it. And so for this to be her first really mainstream movie, it's really, really impressive because this movie had a lot to say and it had a lot to say 
in a very much in a deeper way than I was expecting. And I think that like I told my husband, like I would watch that again because I think there's so much clearly that I didn't see the first time around. And um, I, I, I really like this movie. If you've watched the original Candyman, you'll probably love this. If you haven't, I don't think you need to watch the original one, but you should. Um, and it, it is real. I just really love this movie. Um, so if you have time, it's on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch, watch it. it. I'll watch it at some point. You have it's only rented, so you have to do it within the next day or so. Oh well, <laughs> then maybe not. that probably won't happen. Yeah. But I will watch it someday. Yeah, it is. It is very very good. So I would definitely watch it again. I'm gonna watch the short they have of the animation. Um, and it was the perfect amount of scary. I told them my husband. He's like, it wasn't scary at all. It's like exactly <laughs> like it had like it's it's more gory and like disgusting like it's gross it is gross it's not the grossest thing but it is gross the first one was too yeah it's gross it's got those bees it's got the fucked up skin and you know hooks all the all the hits all the hits are there um but i thought this was a good a good update it was well done and i would watch it again and i highly suggest it nice 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 i almost said nights Nights. Um, so that's going to do it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has links to all of our previous episodes, as well as our podcast network, Penwich Studio. Check out the other shows on the network. You are guaranteed to like them. Guaranteed by who? Not me. <laughs> I don't know. Someone guarantees it, but it isn't me because I don't know your personal taste. I don't know your life. Um, but I hope you like them. Uh, if you like, If you like this podcast... <laughs> consider leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice um it's a nice thing to do when you do it good things come your way it's forward this review to 12 to 12 people and the ghost under your bed will not bite you in the night if you don't write a review the ghost under your bed might bite you while you're sleeping i'm just warning you i'm just telling it like i mean we're just telling it like it is we're just telling it like it is we're just being honest we're just being upfront. there's a ghost under your bed and it's gonna bite you if you don't leave us a review uh (laughs) Next, next, we're going to be talking about the Pierce Brosnan Bond films. I'm really excited because Tomorrow Never Dies is good, actually. I hope you're ready. Uh, after that, we'll be talking about The Almighty Johnsons, um, a show with the most white men per capita that I have ever seen. <laughs> uh, and after that, we will be talking about the daniel craig bond films i believe i'm pretty sure that's what's next that doesn't feel right because that is that has to be in october um, but it's almost here but that is almost october i hate to say it where the fuck did this year go i'm i'm ready listen this is one of the worst years of my it's life it's been a it's yeah and so i'm ready <laughs> ready to get it over with. 2021 is your 2020 yeah i 2020 was bad for me but 2021 was extremely bad for me yeah it's we're all we're all going through it yep um so yeah that's it all right catch you on the flip side <laughs>